The short game is listener-supported on Patreon. If you'd like to support the show and join us on our Discord, head to theshortgame.net or patreon.com slash theshortgame. All right, let's get into it. Welcome back. Hey, guys. Welcome to Back to the Short Game. We're coming at you with a great new episode. Let's count it off on the ones and twos with Reagan and Shane. <laughs> welcome, welcome back to the short game. <laughs> this is the show about short video games, games that respect your time. I'm Reagan Kelly, and I'm joined this week by my brother and bro host, Shane. Yeah, I'm Shane Kelly, and I'm coming back to you on this podcast. Sometimes, Shane, sometimes you come into the show with energy that I don't understand, and it wasn't present while we were preparing to record, so... It's my podcaster energy. I see. Okay. Great. I'm glad you're here, Shane. And it's just the two of us this week. We're talking about a little game called XO1. Uh, and it is a uh, it is a strange little thing. It's an experimental feeling thing. It's available on lots of platforms. It's on uh, it's on the Xbox Game Store. Excuse me. It's on the Epic Game Store. It's also on Xbox. And it's part of Xbox Game Pass, so if you're on PC there, you can pick it up there. See, Reagan, you're coming into this episode with weird energy, too. Usually you forget to tell people where the games are available until the very end. Yeah, I guess that's true. So uh, my weird energy is good energy, and your weird energy is cursed. Yes. So uh, this is a really very uh, unique little game that was created by a single pretty much solo developer, this guy named Jay Weston. He has a, a development house or studio or whatever you want to call it called Expletive, which is, I guess, a pun on like, or not pun, whatever you want to call it, unlike Expletive and Bleat because it's got like a goat logo. Um, Expletive, Expletive is his, basically this one guy, Jay Weston. And this is a very, very visually cool-looking game for a totally solo project. But it also took a commensurately long amount of time to come out. This game has been – it had a, a Kickstarter way back that seems like uh, ancient history. I think it's been in progress since at least 2016 or something like that. I'm always curious um, when when you see the final product of something like this and – you find out, oh, this was a Kickstarter to like see how was this actually pitched as a Kickstarter? Because it's such a unique and kind of strange game. I, I can tell you exactly how it was pitched. And I think they knew exactly what they were making from the start. Um, because if you look back at the old Kickstarter page, there's like an Edge magazine quote in it that I should have pulled up in advance, but and I don't have it in front of me now, but it was very like, the first thing on the Kickstarter page was like, it's Tiny Wings meets Kubrick's 2001 A Space Odyssey. And I think well, they knew they... exactly what they were making because I can't think of a way to describe this better than Tiny Wings meets 2001 A Space Odyssey. I I, I have one description that might suffice, and that is Orb. Did you ponder this game, Shane? I pondered the orb in this game, um, and then I pressed a button and it flattened into a disc, and that ruined it. Yeah, yeah. We were pondering our orbs, and then they added that extra button, and um, So yeah, the, the short version of what this game is, how it plays, uh, this is, XO1 is a game about uh, controlling an orb. Uh, as, it, as it progresses across beautiful exoplanetary landscapes. Um, there is a plot. Sort of, um, but it is told in a sort of a, a expressionist kind of way. Uh, there's light narration that's actually not words. It's like um, gibberish sounds that are translated into subtitles. I kind of think I'm not totally sure about this. I think those gibberish sounds are the words like backwards or something. Like it's, oh, that would that might make yeah. sense. Yeah, I, I think there's like yeah. some kind of like time travel implication in the absolute mess of a story this game has uh the yeah. first thing you see in the game is a quote though which is oh and i have slipped the surly bonds of earth and danced the skies on laughter silvered wings and done a hundred things you've not dreamed of okay i am become orb i have become orb <laughs> guys i have had a couple of drinks before we started recording i apologize to our 
paying listeners who are forced to endure this, and even more so to my brother. Yeah, this is this is a podcast uh, recorded under duress. <laughs> we won't get into the details, but uh, this one was a a, a late uh, a late entrant, let's just say. Um, but it's also like a really quick play, and it's on Game Pass, so it's a really easy sell, right? Like, honestly, that is that is like the 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 pitch that you if you if you want to pitch a game to me, if you say this is like three hours or less, and it's on Game Pass, like a plus sold, I will play that yeah. shit. And you know what else sells this game is the look. I mean, it's visually an absolutely stunning game. Like if you see, just kind of the opener of this game is this silver sphere crashing down out of space into a planet, which uh, subtitles tell you is named. Sagan Five, which I guess wonder is, who that might be named wonder after. Wonder who that might be named after. Yeah, um, and Sagan Five uh, is composed of nothing but rolling hills, uh, weird, crappy trees, ancient monoliths, and absolutely gorgeous volumetric storm clouds. That that is one of the things that I think is maybe the biggest visual success of this of this game is the volumetric clouds and the overall just sort of look as you kind of pierce through those clouds, your orb, um, when you press, uh, one of the buttons, uh, and it like quintuples its gravity or whatever, it can crash down through these clouds and break the sound barrier and create just like an absolutely insane display of like, you know, a, a O-ring of, of, of gas as it breaks the sound barrier and then crashes into the earth or I guess into the Sagan five. Um, <laughs> it's a very, very, very cool looking. Game. Yeah. The big star here, other than the orb, we all praise the orb is the, is these landscapes and they are so large and so um, I wouldn't exactly say detailed. It's not like you can like zoom in on every bug on every leaf or anything, but there's a lot of shape. There's a lot of like geometry to these landscapes and each planet has its own unique qualities. So there's planets that are like lots of deserty looking hills or lots of rocks. There's lots there. There's planets with different like, you know, mostly water, that kind of thing. Every one of them is clearly designed like a Tony Hawk level where it's, you know, there's you're supposed to skate through it. Uh, in various different ways, but it's um, the tiny wings comparison is really valid here because you're kind of like using this momentum system. It's sort of um, a gravity defy or gravity manipulation system where you your orb can be very light or it can be very heavy based on a button press, and it gets heavy, and then you start a downward uh, fall. And if you hit a slope correctly, then you roll. And ideally, you roll up the opposing cliff and let go of your make my sphere heavy button uh, fast enough that then you get propelled upwards as your sphere becomes light and you're rolling uphill. And you can use that momentum to, you know, get sick air. A couple Um, of other controls there. Uh, There's a button that flattens your sphere into a disc, which allows you to glide and kind of maintain your height. You can only do that for a limited time. Um which is represented in a what I think is a very cool visual. The um, yeah. the orb um, kind of heats up like molten metal. And when it has fully cooled, then you're no longer able to, to use the glide ability. It's very, very cool looking. Um, again, like the visuals of this game are the real selling point to me. And, and then the other thing you can do is a little bit of a uh, double jump, which you can do either on the ground or... Um, in the air, if you need to just gain a little bit of extra height, you got a couple of couple of little kicks you can give it to jump up. So, Shane, how much Tiny Wings have you played in your lifetime? Um, Tiny Wings was a real staple for me on the iPhone about a decade ago. Um, I guess God, a decade. Yeah. Don't say a decade ago when you talk about iPhone games. Oh my God, Reagan, I feel old. Reagan, this was it was the it was the top selling game on iOS in 2011. Jesus. So yeah, just just looking that up. So that's why I, I was going to pause. I kind of let us glance through that a little bit, but um, I'm sure we have listeners who might not have been deep into iPhone gaming a decade ago. Um, Tiny Wings was a game 
that was also the product of a single developer. Uh, that one was made by a guy named Anders Ilger, I believe. Hopefully I'm saying that right. He was a German developer. And a princely genius who gave a gift to the world. That game absolutely slaps. Um, it is a single player. You know, they, they've expanded it a lot. I, I have a hard time remembering like the like the edition or version it was in when I played it. But if you were to go back and play it now on like iPad, you get like a Tiny Wings HD or whatever. You can even play it multiplayer and stuff like that. But it was basically uh, this same um, fall and fly mechanic where the bird, you had this sort of fat bird with the titular tiny wings. So it was not a good flying bird. It was more of a gliding, sliding bird. And it would uh, coast from island to island, and uh, you had to keep you had to keep ahead of a, a sun a sunset. I think that was kind of coming up behind you, so you had to keep up your mm-hmm. speed. It was a collecting coins. Yeah, it was a lot of yeah. Oh man, I just reinstalled it. This is cursed. I'm gonna kill myself playing this again. Oh my god, yeah. I played so much goddamn Tiny Wings. Like right. it's got it's got a good song, little soundtrack on it. Um, and it has this like incredible zen quality to it where you know if you get good at it um which doesn't take that much work honestly uh it becomes this like incredibly blissed out zen experience mm-hmm. where you're able to just like glide through these islands and do these perfectly timed dip jumps and um you know eventually build up huge multipliers and it just it just feels amazing and this game was like probably the game i spent the most time on on my iphone until um alto's adventure and alto's odyssey these are both it has the feel of that sort of like endless runner kind of thing and i really can only have space in my heart for one of those at a time but but like tiny wings is an incredible game and it's got this central mechanic this sort of like dive jump or the sort of like dippy uh like landscape enabled swoopy jump things that like that particular style of locomotion was very unique to this game and there's a reason that like you know when people talk about this game X01 they immediately go back to this decade old iPhone game that probably no one yeah. plays anymore and it's because it it is doing this thing and it's the first one of these I've seen again I don't think nobody plays this anymore is probably accurate this was a game it still has a lot of adherence and it was added to um in an updated version to apple arcade only last october so uh what yeah oh man yeah so okay. so tiny wings sorry flappy flappy tiny wings no not flappy yeah flappy, flappy bird is a whole flappy different bird, game if you were thinking flappy bird this is very different there's probably yeah and and this definitely sits very much in that um kind of uh 20 2000s to 2010s ios genre of the one button um arcade game like mm-hmm. they're they're th- so the inspiration from this kind of one button style game is coming here to x01 but it is it's it's taken to dramatic yeah. extremes in every in every a, a, a potential way that that concept could be expanded so it is it's three-dimensional instead uh, it goes for, and so obviously it needs to be able to not just dip through two-dimensional valleys, but 3D valleys. So there's these wide open spaces and you can go in multiple directions. Um, it adds these additional controls. I think don't think Tiny Wings ever had this sort of like flap and it certainly never had a glide. Um, it was all pretty much just about dip motions. Um, so it adds these additional mechanics and it attempts to add a story, something that uh, Tiny Wings uh, never had. Now, whether it succeeds at adding a story is depends a little bit on your taste in what counts as a story. Uh, but uh, this this attempts to. Uh, but it's yeah, it's it's an expansion on the Tiny Wings concept, basically uh, in every possible way. Um, and it's really neat to see that return back to because I don't think I've played anything that does this style of locomotion since Tiny Wings. I really actually like minimalism in storytelling in games. And and this is a good example of that. Um, When you have kind of a a minimal story in a game, basically how, how how does this game tell its story? This game tells its story by, um, you know, as you're approaching Sagan five, you're seeing Mm -hmm. things through what kind of looks like a NASA probes viewfinder. Um, You see, you hear a little bit of discussion about, uh, a design for an alien probe and humanity trying to build 
an alien probe to the specifications of basically a, contact. I was right? going to say it's basically contact, which is a great movie. You should go watch it. Yeah. Um, if we're if we're ever going to get outside of our solar system, it's going to have to be an alien cheat sheet. I, honestly, there's no other way. Yeah, maybe. Um, can we have a whole side conversation about sci-fi movies in this episode? Because that'd be kind of kind of fun. I think our listeners would hate me, but only because you have bad opinions. Go ahead. Uh, no, I'm actually not prepared for that. <laughs> we'll do that another time. We, we're gonna have we're gonna have we we're gonna do a, a movies podcast somehow. We're gonna get Phil back. Oh, patron exclusives. Yeah, listen to our bad opinions about film. Yeah, I got I got a friend named Phil um, who does a Twitch stream called Netflix and Phil. And um, great title, great title. Did he change his name for that one? <laughs> Did he change his name? No, he just somehow managed to not get sued by Netflix. And uh, yeah, I I, I, lo- I love chatting movies, but we I I feel like I need a outlet to talk movies. Um, it's not this podcast because this is not it. Um, let us proceed to talk about a video game. Continue. Uh, so yeah, XO One. I think I think we've basically explained the game. Like this is not a complicated yeah. game. Um, I'll, I'll give you a little bit more on the structure. This has eleven different planets in it, and each one of those planets is a bit of a twist. So um, we don't usually go like level by level in describing a game, uh, but in this one, I kind of can because. First off, I I took better notes than I often do, and second, you took notes on this game. Go ahead, please. Very Go ahead. very minimal notes. Uh, I I wrote down the name of each planet and what its gimmick is. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, so have at it. The second planet. So the first planet we talked about that was Sagan Five, and Sagan Five is your tutorial planet, and it's basically uh, the Green Hill Zone. But oh, the structure of each planet is kind of um, worth mentioning. Every planet has a weird. Um, distant beam of light that you can kind of see and you are approaching it slowly. And as you get to that distant beam of light um, at the end of it, you find this weird alien relic ray gun, sorry, rail gun that like will launch you to the next planet. That's basically the structure, right? Um, uh, There's also some collectible things like something that gives you slightly long. There's little grabbable orb additional orbs um that can let you glide a little longer i i don't think that's very necessary um it doesn't really but you know it 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 expands the experience a little bit um so yeah sagan five um hills storm clouds uh kind of looks like mars cool level basics the second one is a planet called Noe, G-N-O-W-E-E. I don't know if that one's named after anybody. And this one is a very uh, bizarre twist. First off, it's like blue mountains smashed together with these gigantic metal constructs. It's a very cool looking planet. And uh, it's full of like weird little uh, lights dancing around everywhere and, and wind blowing everywhere. And it's also tons of elevation to the terrain. And and that makes it a lot more challenging to traverse. There are places where you're really going to have to, like, figure out how to get out of a weird canyon in order to keep going towards the light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak. Um, so it's a very cool. Just one. Googled it, by the way, before we get off of Noe. Noe is in the mythology. Uh, this is from a Wikipedia, not Wikipedia, from some wiki article here. Uh, mythos, myths fandom.com oh so yeah I guess myths. The, the, fandom the hell myths yeah we're, fandom we're about to so get the take this uh sourcing for what it's worth um in the mythology of the aboriginal people of southeastern australia specifically the watjobaluk people who spoke the wargaya language i'm hoping my pronunciations were somewhere on target there noe is a solar goddess whose torch is the sun. Uh, this is developed by an Australian developer, um, so uh, okay. in a- Adelaide, South Australia. So perhaps he was paying homage to uh, the uh, the Aboriginal people whose land this game was developed on. I mean, that's pretty cool. Um, and I, so I, I'll briefly mention that I do think it's kind of BS that we named all the planets after like Roman gods. Come on. <laughs> Yeah, all the planets, the many planets, every planet. 
They could have they could have spread that shit out a little more. Yeah, they, it does feel like maybe we should uh, rethink some of those. So Mars, y- come on, Mars, Mars. The uh, third um, real real creative because it's a red planet because blood because war. Got it. Mars, come on. Hey, some of my favorite candies are also called Mars. Um, the third planet we get to here is called Quirinus Two, and. I would say it's kind of similar to the first one. Uh, it's more of a. I'm not going to Google the names of each of these, so let's proceed. Yeah. Come on, uh, listeners. I'm sure that there's references here. I did not Google them. Um, that one's more of like a volcanic planet with like weird plumes of smoke. Um, it was. I, I didn't take a lot of notes about it. It was kind of like the first one. It was fun. Um, hot air rises, kind of a fun thing. Uh, you know, I don't know if I want to go through every single one of these. I want to talk about the ones that I disliked. Oh, okay. Can I talk about – well, sure. Let's talk about the ones you disliked. Uh, okay. I, so what is I, what is the one that you have to get into a weird basket or something? Oh, what was that about? I seriously do not remember a weird basket. What? You don't remember the, the one where there's like those big um, – it's like a forested planet and there's this whole bit where you have to like – there's this there's this like – thing that's got like three glowing holes in it and one and two of them have these big metal basket or looking things stuck in them and you can get into the big metal basket and you pilot it into the hole did we play completely different games i don't remember that shit at all (laughs) maybe i did something optional that i hated um i hated that i hated it a lot um so that was bad um but, like, honestly, the thing that really pissed me off in this game was the level where you have to slingshot between asteroids, which sounds like it's going to be the dopest shit, right? Because, like, who doesn't love Super Mario Galaxy? Who doesn't love things that play with the gravity of orbiting objects and slingshotting between them? That is always oh, dope. Reagan, I, I do I do remember the I, – I, I, Basket was throwing me off. You're talking about the, like, orb within an orb. <laughs> That's precisely what I'm talking about. The basket orb. Okay. The, the, the weird metal framework orb, Listeners, I guess. if you get into this game and, and it doesn't look like a basket to you, don't be surprised. Uh, it's basically a sphere. And okay. Yeah, that, okay. Was on, that was on the planet called Daramlum. And yeah, you just get in that big ass thing and kind of roll it around. It's like a... It was the, it was the first time where like there was something to do on the planet other than go to the end goal. Um, And it was the only time this game, as far as I can remember, had a thing that you had to do on the planet other than just make your way using the fun traversal mechanic across the landscape to get to the end goal. You know, and there were different ways that the game would like make it difficult to get across the landscape. But that was the only time where it was like, I have to put a thing into a hole like in- I, I'm kind of with you on that level. Like the the levels here, each one like presents you with some level I, of interest. This game was short, but I thought there were two or three too many levels. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, maybe I would have cut those uh, two. The, the the this level in particular, it was very ambitious compared to the rest. Like it wanted to do a lot, um, which is cool. But there were some things that didn't totally work for me. That exact same level, uh, you were saying it was forested. It had these like mangrove looking trees all over it and the um the trees look good at a distance but the closer you get they don't look as good and the this game works really well visually in levels where um you're seeing stuff at a big grand scale right you're moving fast uh you're going through the clouds you're launching yourself off of mountains. Um, when you're like rolling through a forest, it kind of doesn't look as good. And it, it has the classic like video game problem of like, hey, I, either we have to let the player basically roll right through the trees or the trees are like a wall or we let them break the trees. And this one just goes with like, let's roll right on through, which is kind of, you know, Kind of, preferable in a game that's know. about smooth fluid rolling in my opinion yeah. but like this is to combine that this is also one of the planets where um the, the thing i really did like about that level is it had all these 
like the little bitty trees, but it also had like the gigantic trees where you'd like roll through hollow logs and um, like little log ramps and stuff from like dead trees. Mm -hmm. That's cool. Um, They were trying to do like more of a forested world. That's cool. Uh, You know, the, the double orb thing like didn't work for you. It was quick for me. I don't, I had kind of forgotten about that. I, I, I screwed it up once and ended up accidentally rolling the entire way back down to where I started. And that made me angry. Sucks to suck my friend. Oh, well, yes it does. And I know it more than anyone. Um, and then the other one that really sucked, in my opinion, was the one that I was like, this looks awesome. The like a- asteroid orbiting thing. And it sounded like you didn't have any trouble with that. Is that right? Uh, yeah, this was the f- exact. This is like the very next level. This is like level six called Coronides uh, or Coronidus mm-hmm. or something like that. And uh, in that one, they were trying to pull a Super Mario Odyssey kind of vibe where the um i think you're thinking of galaxy galaxy sorry yeah super mario galaxy (laughs) i think the theme here um between levels what is it six and level seven is that anytime they play with uh adding additional orbs uh that's a failure because they put you uh instead of an orb within an orb now you're an orb upon an orb um and you must kind of sort of slingshot yourself uh gravitationally in orbit to another little rock and thereby escape. Um, Can I just say, Shane, uh, just as a side note, I am I am deep into my 30s, and the sentence that you just said was the first time in my entire life that I connected the word orb and orbit as being the same thing, essentially. Okay. Like, an orbit is a thing moving in an, moves around orb, an orb shape yeah. around another orb. Never occurred to me. I don't know why. I feel so dumb. Please continue. Yeah. Um, speaking of, of of having fun with words, um, uh, Wordle is really good. Oh, yeah. Orbit would be a bad uh, word or, or orb. Uh, excuse me. It would be a bad starter word in war, Orbel. Or- <laughs> Are you okay? I've got, I've got orb brain, Shane. I'm pondering too hard. <laughs> um <laughs> please continue. Yeah, so that was that was the, the level 7. Um so yeah, I think like level 6 and level 7, those they're like right smack dab in the middle of the game, right? Mm-hmm. And and they kind of suck they, in my opinion. Yeah, they they're not great. They like, they were where I quit for the night and I came back and had a good time the, mm-hmm. finishing it up. But yeah, yeah, most of the most of the levels when we're talking about the the twist or the tweak that they have. It's something that's a lot more um, simplistic here. Um, and it's like, you know, Sorry, I'm still laughing about Orbel. What did my brain do there? <laughs> Sorry. <let's keep> going. <laughs> uh, so yeah, there'll be like a level that has like, like really strong electrical charge and like it zaps you out of the sky or whatever. Uh, yeah. My very favorite level was one I really liked the levels that had a lot of water um, because mm-hmm. the charge of the um, orb, like if you would fly through a cloud, it would like recharge your glide ability, the kind of heating you up, which basically anytime you're touching anything, including clouds or water, you're basically recharging the orb. And um, the the water levels, like it's really, really like, cool the way that you could just sort of skip across the water like a stone that's like one of my favorite things in this Mm -hmm. game um and then it was also a level with lots of clouds and the way that the game does clouds visually already i mentioned it's like volumetric in terms of the clouds but also when you're flying through the clouds it has that kind of really nice visual of like little droplets of water hitting the camera and Mm -hmm. uh this is very cool looking and so you can get really high momentum on levels like that. And this one was really big. There were lots of little stones, but then these big islands in the middle of uh, of like giant oceans. And there were several things you had to collect. The later levels, you have to collect stuff, uh, additional orbs. Orbs are big, by the way. Um, 
You love love a good orb. Yeah, I, I love. I still. I'm. I'm still very pro orb. Um, and this one had these like little orbs that were in hard to reach places. So like using the mechanics to kind of slingshot yourself like out of these oceans and up mountains to collect the orbs. That was, I thought, a really effective level. Um, just a really fun one to play and very beautiful to look at. Uh, that was level nine, Darwin three. Yeah, honestly, there's not that much else to say about this game. It might be worth talking very briefly a little more about the story. It, the story is such a non-entity in this game. It has one, and it was just intriguing enough to let me like to, like keep me interested until you know throughout its fairly brief playtime. Um, the, the premise is that this uh, that at some point prior to the beginning of the game, uh, a, a uh, exploration mission to Jupiter uh, was lost. And uh, it had, you know, in a sort of like lunar lander kind of uh, slash lunar orbiter kind of thing. Most of the crew went down to Jupiter in a flyer and one dude stayed up in an orbiter kind of monitoring the mission. And the flyer was lost with all hands and the orbiter guy uh, made it back to Earth alone. And um, some point during all all of this or afterward, uh, you know, Earth receives a message uh, with the design plans for what becomes known as the XO-1, a spaceship that will allow him uh, to travel to exoplanets. And he believes somehow bring his dead or lost colleagues back. Um, we get little hints in these various um, uh, bits of non-narration that's subtitled. Listener, I played this game and took notes, and nothing Reagan says is the story. Please tell me what you mean by that. I I mean that this game tells its story in such a minimal and um, obscure way that it might as well not have one. Yeah, that's honestly true. Like, you could ignore the story in this and be perfectly fine. Or you could spend a lot of time pondering, just like the orb, the the little dribbles of story that this game gives you. Uh, and, you know, you, there's something there to keep you engaged. But this is by far not a game to play for its story. It is a game to play for its incredible visuals. So, like, one of the things I noticed reading this, uh, the developer's bio is that um, after working on, uh, working for a, a publisher of, um, of, uh, of racing games for many years, he split off to create his own little studio that focused on creating basically skyboxes for games. Um, and that makes sense to me because like, this is clearly coming from a guy who has like a lot of experience doing incredibly cool looking detailed visual environments. Um, and he's got one good mechanic to use in those environments. The like swooping mechanic is great. It plays really well. It's also got a good soundtrack, but really, I think here the star of the show is these incredibly beautiful visual environments, and that comes down to not just things like, wow, the lighting looks good and the orb is shiny, but like also like being able to really carry off these like incredibly detailed um, landscapes that seem to go on forever and have the feeling of being like somewhere in between being authored and generated. Um I, I, if I had to say, like, I, like this feels a little bit like if somebody has one of those. In, every now and then, you see these like incredible demos, right? Where somebody's like, "I've created this thing that generates an incredible looking 3D landscape, and it's only 500 kilobytes of JavaScript or something, right?" You know, these kinds of things. It feels like somebody started with that and then like polished and polished and polished until they had something game worthy. Every single one of these levels has a little bit of this feel of sort of like chaotic randomness from nature slash generative code that's been shaped a little bit to fit a particular idea of what a level should be for this game. Um, but that's not to say like, I, you know, sometimes I say like, you know, things are, are you know, randomly generated or, or, or procedurally generated is a little bit. Yeah, of death but they don't, they don't feel not same. here. It doesn't. Yeah. Matter. Like, that, yeah, that's the thing. When you when you do randomly generated um, terrain and in, in in games or in things like that, you get something that is like and I have played games that do that, like No Man's Sky. I played tons of it and I, I can't remember who termed it like this, but it's the the oatmeal problem. You can create. Um, it, you can create 50 billion algorithmically generated bowls of oatmeal, each one completely different from every other bowl of oatmeal, but every one of them is still a bowl of oatmeal. Um, <laughs> the, the, 
the worlds in this are very much authored. Like they are big. And so they have like, they have a little bit of that feeling. And I think artistically they have that look, which is also a part of it. They look like those kind of tech demo landscapes like you're describing, but uh, they, they have a design. They're designed to play. There are hills in these levels that like feel like in a sense, they are like, 50 different potential intersections of a sphere, right? Like they're, they have these sort of like um, generated shapes kind of look to them. But like it's clear that they that the developer put a lot of thought into like, well, what sorts of shapes should we be generating for this level versus the next one, which have different approaches? So yeah, they're all, they all have this sort of like chaotic randomness, this sort of vaguely nature-y kind of feel to their landscapes. But having 11 of them, that's a lot. And each of them is pretty significantly different from every other one. Um, so that's that, there's a lot going for it just there. Um, and, uh, you know, yes, always your goal is like, I want to look for downslopes with upslopes next to them. And, you know, that's what you're looking for ultimately in all of these levels. But like they do have enough variety to like, I don't know, they're, they're, they're just different enough. Yeah, I, I think they... There, this game holds up through all of the levels. We have a couple of levels that we're calling out as like, we don't really love the twist that they put on it. But um, those were kind of the levels where they put a big twist on it, right? Like the, the, the rest of it all really works. If they did like genuinely have like an algorithmically generated version of this game, like you're saying, kind of, re- kind of looks like, um, I think that would actually be fun like it's it's genuinely a fun mechanic landing the landing the the whatever you call it the rebound off the ground there is very satisfying so that really that's all i have to say about the game is it's a very satisfying thing to play um the game is fun enough that like i i finished it in one setting and um if you have access to it through something like Game Pass, I think it's a no-brainer. If you, yeah. um, we, it's also- I finished this one in three and a half hours, and I think that is exactly the. I would have liked to have spent slightly less time with it than that because I did get stuck on some of those middle levels, like we talked about. Um, but ultimately, like this is a great game to sit down with for a couple of hours, um, and uh, it, it has this feeling of like if you've ever really wanted to just like sit down and bliss out with like a really cool iTunes visualizer, but it also plays well, like as a game, that's what this is. It's it's like really slick visuals that's meant to give you like you know an evening or two of pretty chilled out, really good looking thing to play that isn't going to require you to learn a bunch of systems or think about scores. It's just about an experience. And that's pretty cool. Um, And this is also exactly the kind of thing that I like to see come to services like Game Pass, which is where I played it, because, uh, you know, it's perfect to just download this and give it a try. And if it's not for you, no, no sweat. But I think it's really, it's going to be the right thing at the right time for some people. And it's great to see it coming out on something like Game Pass. If you do not have Game Pass, um, then you're probably picking it up on Steam. And on Steam, it costs right now 17 bucks, which I think is a pretty good price for something like this. Um you know, I think that, that a lot of these kind of indie experiences that are fairly short, um, but unique and interesting. And uh, I, I think you might actually find this a little bit replayable because it's such a Zen experience. Um, yeah, I can see that. Anything else we need to say about it? It's, it's almost I was really worried we would have a hard time talking. That's the reason I took notes on this is I was worried we would have a hard time talking about it because it's so abstract. It looks like the cover to a journey album. And it's just like, oh, it's Tiny Wings meets Orb. <laughs> so, so I was kind of, I was kind of worried I wouldn't have that much to say about it. Like the levels are planets where you swoop. Every one of them you swoop more or differently. <laughs> but I'm glad, I'm glad we managed to figure out a good way to talk about it. So before we wrap up for real, 
let's take a quick sec to bring in a segment. We've got a little bit of time on the clock, and so it's a good time for it, that we've been talking about doing. Do you remember back in episode 300, I made an offhand comment that I was going to keep the questions that we hadn't gotten to yet, and I wanted to do a, a segment on the show where we would start answering listener questions. Uh, well, I decided now is the time for us to do that. It is just the two of us, so we won't be getting the full experience. But listeners, if you have questions for the show, uh, we do still want them. And it's uh, e- easy to get them, get them to us either via Discord, where we have a channel set up for that purpose, or you can add us on Twitter. Um, but I have a question that was left over from our episode 300 Q&As. Um, which I was, I thought was a fun question I wanted to get back to. So this one it comes in from uh, Rubella on our Discord, and that hey, is, buddy. what is your, yeah, hey, buddy, uh, what is your biggest gaming buyer's remorse? Like a game that you bought and ended up hating so much that you could find no positive for having bought it. And he says that his was Mario Tennis Aces for the Nintendo Switch. Well, first of all, Mario Tennis Aces wasn't that bad? Come on, man. Mario Tennis Aces was fine. It wasn't the best Mario Tennis game. I played a lot of Mario Tennis games, but like, it's still a Mario Tennis game. It's still fun. I played that with a few people. I enjoyed it. It's not nearly as good as the Mario Golf for the Switch, uh, which I thought was pretty damn good. Um, But yeah, I don't know, man. Not that bad. Did you play either of those, Shane? Um, I played Mario Tennis. Uh, Yeah, I kind of fell off of it pretty fast. I wouldn't say I necessarily like regret buying it i i mean it was like a full full price game yeah that's true like nintendo stuff is like it's full ass full price games all the way down so sometimes it's easy to have buyer's remorse about a nintendo game if you pick one up and it's not good or you don't like it can i can i have buyer's remorse for something that i didn't actually buy that i received as a gift as a child Sure. What is it? The Aura Interactive Virtual Reality Gameware. Oh my god, I forgot we owned that. (laughs) Describe that. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. So this, also known as the Aura Interactor. The Interactor, uh, yeah. Wait, wait, wait. wait. Was this this the thing that you put on the floor, or was this the thing that you strapped to your chest? Yeah, this is the one you strapped to your chest. Okay, okay. I'm I'm misremembering. Mom and dad, once we had gotten into Sega Genesis, uh, Oh, we got it bad. Yeah, man. we, we really um, Sega Genesis. Uh, we were. They, I think. I think they were like, well, they really like that Sega Genesis. We got to get all the all the Gugas to enhance their Sega experience, which of course means that you want to give your uh, your little boys a wearable force feedback vest that plugs into the Sega Genesis and. Um, provides them with low frequency vibrations in their chest that are loosely <laughs> loosely associated with what's going on in the video game just what you want to get for two boys with a family history of heart disease let's vibrate their bodies in weird ways based on computers um this that thing was awful. The The funny thing about it is like theoretically it's cool if you're playing it with like a fighting game. Like it had a deal where it was like certain software it would like sync up with like Mortal Kombat 2. And no, that's but, bullshit. What it does was it's a subwoofer essentially. Like it, it just played. Well, the, for games the, that weren't like that it wasn't like set up to specifically work with. That was the deal. And so that was basically all the games because the thing about it was Mortal Kombat 2 our mother would not let us have. So <laughs> I, I'm suspicious even that they like that they actually had anything special about Mortal Kombat 2. I think it's just like it was listening for dark for deep sounds yeah. like the thuds of uh, hits in a fighting game, and then it would vibrate your nipples or whatever. Um <laughs> I can't see the benefit of it. I, I suppose there's probably some small benefit if you did have proper speakers, because like maybe, you know, you've got the like decent speakers but you don't have a proper subwoofer and maybe it would be kind of interesting to wear a subwoofer i'm sure we've all put our hands up to a subwoofer and been like that that feels neat like has some has some kick to it maybe that'd be kind of neat right but like we were playing most of our video games on a tiny 10 inch crt television in your bedroom attack with a single mono speaker that sounded like absolute ass so imagine like crackly tinny little sounds uh, accompanied by the 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 right on your body i, I can't see the well, appeal it's, of it for... it's all immaterial because the device was so difficult to actually set up and connect to everything else that we never used it 
<laughs> I think that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would in the same vein of like bad Sega gifts. Um, uh, it, it it also doesn't count as far as buyer's remorse. I have an actual answer for that in a moment, but it's less interesting. Um, the 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 thing that sprung to mind was the 32x, uh, which we got uh, because we were of course also um, Sega nerds, and our parents didn't want to buy us whatever the new hotness was, or maybe there was no new hotness yet. But the 32x was out, so that's what we got for Christmas, and it lasted for all of what like two weeks max. Um, because the Sega 32X was janky AF and just didn't work. So there was like this one game that we liked a lot that was called like uh, Shadow Squadron. Squadron. Shadow Squadron. Shadow Squadron. That game, game is actually rips. really, really good. Uh, it's like a 3D space combat game. I almost guarantee you this was the first 3D game I ever played. Um, my memory's a little hazy on it, but the thing that I really liked about it is that, you know, being twins... Uh, we particularly liked games that were um, cooperative in some way. And if you play this game with two controllers, one controller flies the space jet, and then the other one would move the reticle and, like, control the guns, which was pretty sweet. Like, Yeah, that was really a good option for, like, you don't think about that, but, like, that's a cooperative option that, like, for a game that would be traditionally single player, it, it made the game really fun for two people. It was awesome. And we loved that game for the full two weeks that our 32X worked, and then it broke. Reagan, I would like to play this again. Uh, Please figure out a way to make it happen. I'll figure something. I don't own a 32X today, but yeah. You know, I I read about that a while ago. There's like a sequel. It's like on the Xbox. Oh, for real? Cool. Yeah, you should look that up. I forget what it's called. It's like something else squadron. You know, it's like a loose sequel. But anyway, um, really liked the 32X. I was very excited about it. And then it broke. Um, and this was back in the nineties when, uh, there were no YouTube guides or Googling a problem. And even the idea of getting something serviced was an impossibility because shipping was expensive and you'd have to like find a phone number or write to a PO box or something. And it was all a nightmare. We just never got the thing fixed, even though it only lasted for us like two weeks. So that would have been buyer's rem- my number one buyer's remorse if I had been the buyer. I was not the buyer. The, the the only thing that I can really like, I'm not a person who like buys games that willy nilly. And also, I'm not in such a position in my life where like buying a game that I don't enjoy like becomes a memorable thing. Like I'm not really like ruining the day that I bought a game for my PlayStation Four and didn't enjoy it. Yeah, so it's, it's kind of it, true. We we by the nature of this show we we start and drop a lot of games. Yeah. And that's just sort of part of my life, right? Like, so the time when a game feels like buyer's remorse to me is more along the lines of like, if I buy a game and I feel very excited about it and I want to like it a lot. And then I don't, because that's a little more memorable to me. And the the one that sticks out most in my mind at the moment, um, maybe if you asked me tomorrow, I'd come up with a different answer is, um, uh, ease eight lacrimosa of data. (laughs) The subtitle on that always gave me a little bit of a chuckle. Please but say that again I was like, one more time. E- ease eight. Easy, Lacrimosa easy, of Dana. Easy. That's the series that's spelled Y-S, like big Y-S, ease, like the Joanna Newsom album. Anyway, the Ease series is a series of uh, action RPGs. Lacrimosa Roughly. is like... The Virgin Mary? Is this a I, religious? It has to. I it. Mm, I didn't get to the point where it really explained the lacrimosa. Okay. Um. But uh. Yeah. It, it, the E series is something I've always wanted to get into. I kind of like action RPGs. Um. Everyone and also this was at a time when the like the Vita was like on its way out, but I was still a bit of a Vita fanboy. And uh, when Lacrimosa of Dana came out, all the Vita people were like, man, we've got a cool exclusive here. that It's out on everything now. You can get it on PlayStation 4. You can get it on Switch. Um, but it was like, an, it was like, a, it was like a, um, a get for the Vita at the time. And I was really excited. I pre-ordered that thing. I got it day one. Uh, it shipped to me. And, and I really wanted to like it, man. I really wanted to like it. So I put 
kind of an unreasonable amount of time into it for a game that I find myself just not enjoying at all. It's been long enough that I'm not sure I could really give you a point by point of why I didn't like it. It's just, and I'm not even sure if maybe this is like, I don't agree with the Ease series, or maybe I would like other games in it if I tried them. But something about that game just didn't make sense to me. I kept getting lost. It was weird. I didn't like it. And uh, that's the closest I can think of. I really wanted to like that game and didn't. Um, I don't know. Uh, you have any other th- thoughts on this uh, question? Nah, like I said, I, I'm not usually too worried about not liking a game. I, I quit lots of games. Um, yeah, you know, give yourself permission to quit games. I think it's a wonderful thing. Games are, uh, as a hobby, like, it can be a little expensive, but buying games isn't that big of a deal for... I know, like, I, look, I'm speaking from a point of uh, view of, of privilege. Like, I'm not, a, I'm not like a wealthy person, but, like, buying a game and being disappointed in it is not going to ruin my day, let alone my month. Um, and I know that's not the case for some people. Some people, you know, want to buy a game uh, that, you know, it's, it's an expensive, a little investment for them. And it's something that they are, you know, hoping to get uh, a significant amount of enjoyment over time for. And I'm, I'm not dissing that. That's, you know, that that's, that's just not my experience with gaming. I tend to buy games, um, if I'm even remotely interested in them. And if I'm not enjoying them after a very short amount of time, I drop them. And that's part of like the kind of omnivorous diet I have to have to, to do a podcast. And, and also just like, I like short games because like, I'm much more likely to finish them, even if I'm kind of lukewarm on them. Anyway, um, Thank you, Rubella, on the Discord for this question. And listeners, again, if you want to get a question on the show, just a, even if it's just something like a, a topic suggestion or something, um, send them to us. You can find us on the internet at www.theshortgame.net, where you'll find all of our ways to contact us, including a contact form and all that. Uh, our Twitter is at underscore shortgame. You can find me on Twitter at Reagan K. Uh, Shane, where can people find you? I'm on Twitter at 8BitShane. Oh, and I forgot to mention the Discord uh, and uh, Patreon. You can find our Patreon, patreon.com slash the short game. Uh, we've had some new uh, new patrons recently. Thank you so much to our new patrons. Uh, patrons get access to our Discord, which I already mentioned. You get access to our patrons-only feed, which is mostly just episodes a little early, but also we're trying to release some, uh, some patron-only content. If you have suggestions for that, we're all ears. Uh, and uh, if you pay back us at the $5 level, I will personally send you an envelope full of stickers and uh, also some some deep heartfelt thanks. Uh, so listeners, thank you once again for joining us on this episode of The Short Game. Listeners, I can assure you that those stickers are adhesive. <laughs> and how.